We are living in a, an amazing time in history. Uh, preachers uh, have been like Simeon in the temple waiting for the day when they had an excuse to make 2020 puns. So, so we'll have a, a year of 2020 puns for you. Uh, we're beginning a new year, a new theme. Uh, I'm not sure if we're going to make this a year-long theme, so you don't have to, a whole year of puns. Um, and we're just going to follow this where it goes. Um, a lot of the material that Mark has, has been doing has been on our vision of God and, and uh, in the Sunday morning adult class, our, our vision of each other, vision of, of various things. So uh, we're not going to re-preach uh, his material. Uh, he's covered a lot of that. We're going to be focusing on uh, jumping off of our connection to Christ, which we spent all of last year doing. We're going to be looking then at how that transitions and, and how we connect to the world around us. Um, probably not a, a lot of you know uh, who the world record holder for free throw shots is. And it, you know, there's probably some person that's like my father-in-law who knows like all these obscure details. But uh, the guy by the name of uh, Tom Ambury, uh, I think I've got a picture of him up here. Uh, no, I don't. Oh, well. Uh, Tom Ambury um, did not play professional basketball. Uh, he holds the record for consecutive free throws at 2,750 consecutive free throws. Uh, he is a retired foot doctor. Uh, he was 71 years old at the time that he set this record uh, in 1994. Uh, interestingly enough, he did not miss shot 2,751, they turned the lights out in the gym and made him go home. So, uh, so, so he's got this, he had this book, he passed away a, a few years ago. Uh, and he actually helped train NBA players that, uh, with, uh, I think the Chicago Bulls brought him in and said, can you teach us to, to shoot free throws better? Uh, and his answer on how he did it was, focus, focus, focus. He did this, by the way, in a gym where they were having a volleyball tournament uh, at the same time. Um, uh, and uh, he, he said, "Now, but there is some important information to remember." So it's kind of this this weird paradox. This you you want to learn to shut some things out, but there is some things to remember, and, and a lot of it is in your perspective. And and when we look, you know, and, and he's a, a lot of people look at this at this thing is impossible to do or really difficult to do over and over and over again. But he's like, a basketball is nine inches across. That's all it is. A regulation basketball is nine inches across. A, a hoop that you would shoot it through is 18 inches across. Look, you shoot basketball, it does not look that. I mean, it looks like you've got like a couple inches on either side to, and that's it. Uh, but, but that's important information. It's, it's really actually a lot easier than... than we should make it out to be. And, and a lot of things in life are like, that, remembering some important information is necessary, and yet blocking out some of the unnecessary information is also important. And so our text, uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 17 through 21, we read one verse of that. We're going to read the whole text, uh, and we're just going to go through this text today. This is, this is what we're um, uh, going to look at and pull some details out of. He says, now from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears and with trials that happened to me 
through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring you anything that was profitable in teaching you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of our faith in Lord Jesus Christ. So this is Paul's final advice uh, to, uh, to the people from Ephesus. They've actually come down from, uh, from Ephesus down to the city of Miletus to see him. He's getting ready to go to Jerusalem. Um, and, and so and he gives us some advice, uh, not just to them. This is his final words to them, possibly. I don't know if he saw them again. Uh, it seems from some indications that he might have seen them again. Uh, we don't know. Um, but this is here is at the, towards the end of the book of Acts. Uh, <clears throat> so we're going to be transitioning, as I say, to the concept of how we connect to others around us. And this, there are a number of pieces of information in here that we want to look at that help us to do that. Uh, some of the advice that, that he was leaving them with, these are his final words, and this is really what's on his heart, uh, this message that he gives them. I'm sure he said more than this. Uh, so on one hand, we want to focus on things that are important, um, and yet on the other, we, we can't just have tunnel vision. We have to allow in the necessary information, and that's, that's all in uh, this passage. And so he uh, declares... A couple things that are, are vital to having a successful ministry, a successful mission as a, as a church. And so we are talking today simply about the declaration. Uh, he says, I, I didn't stop from declaring to you. And so, so that is our mission. Our mission is declaring. Well, we want to look at four things. What is necessary to begin, first of all, is that declaring something is active. It is very active. A lot of people have turned the mission of the church into a passive behavior. And what do I mean by that? There is a, 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 something that is somewhat true, but is, I think, overstated that, that happens. And that is that um, we've heard this sentiment that... Um, well, if we just show the world our, our goodness and our virtue, they will want to know what we have. And they'll be so interested. And, and, and they'll come to us. And then just, we just won't be able to stop them. They'll, they'll want to know what we have because we're so different. <coughs> well... Then once you're asked about it, then we're kind of open and free to share the gospel. But that is not what we're asked to do. We're asked to, to make a declaration. And the passages in Scripture, numerous passages are, go and preach, uh, not go and wait for someone to ask you about the gospel. Um, when I think about it, I can't actually think of anybody, I, I, I'm not saying that this has never happened, but I can't think of anybody I know who actually came to Christ this way. Now, this passage, or this idea, comes from a passage in the Scripture, but it's kind of not exactly what... Uh, we're not going to go to 1 Peter 3.1, but, but just I'm going to encapsulate 1 Peter 3.1. He's talking to, to women who have become Christians, and their husbands have not become Christians yet. And he says, uh, you know, you could win them without even a word when they see your behavior, they see how you've changed, and... And you could win them without even preaching to them. Women. And, and so a lot of people said, well, that, that's kind of the basis for, for this concept. With the exception that this, 
this passage wasn't intended to be an evangelistic mission. This, uh, this was intended to, to be a description of a, a family situation uh, where, where you're uh, in, in, you know, around someone all the time and, and you see, hey, this person was like this. I know them in their, you know, we know what we're like when we're home and we're different. You know, in the real setting of a family, I know what this person used to be like. They're not like that. And so that's a different thing than, than, you know, the people we see at work or the people we see at school or the people we see at the grocery store. And you're not going to just be really nice at the grocery store and this cashier is going to go, you're really nice. Can I be baptized? <laughs> like, that is not realistic. Now, I can think of somebody who, was, who came to Christ... Um, in, under the setting of, of, of what Peter mentions, uh, the church where um, we were when I was born uh, in Elmira, New York, uh, was started in the, I think, the early 60s, and it started in the home of a, a lady by the name of Jackie Paul. Uh, she, was, she became a Christian. Her husband wasn't. Now, he wasn't mean to her. He wasn't, didn't ever tell her she couldn't go to church. But, but at the beginning, church was in their home. Now, this was before I was born. Uh, by the time I was born, uh, they were they were renting a Grange Hall, and uh, but but for for several years it was in their home. And Sunday came, and he just went in the other other room and watched football or did whatever he did. And and church was in the living room, or I don't know where he went. Uh, and then then and that was it. Uh, and that was in the sixties. I I think I saw him growing up. Maybe I, we might have gone to their house. They lived like around the corner from my grandfather. And I might have seen them once or twice, met him. Uh, we went to Ukraine and came back uh, to visit, and, and he was at a camp. And became a Christian about a year before he passed away. So sometimes this does happen. I can think of somebody who has become a Christian through that means. But I can't think of, of anybody who's ever become a Christian when that has been a, a motto for evangelization for our mission. So we have to remember that the, the gospel has to be active. This, this, this mission, this declaration is an active process. But he says, he says something else in this passage. Uh, he says that it's bold. He says, I, I, I was bold when I declared it to you. He said, I didn't shrink. I didn't shrink from doing this. Well, why would someone have to declare that I didn't shrink from doing this? If it's so easy, we, evangelization is not easy. It's not easy for preachers. It's not, it wasn't easy for Paul. The fact that he had to tell them that he didn't shrink from it tells you there was a tendency in him that wanted to. If you have to tell somebody that. Right? Even Paul had to get up and say, okay, we're doing this today. I'm going to talk to somebody that I would not ordinarily talk to about this. I'm going to do something that's out of my comfort zone. Evangelization is that. It is difficult. Why is it difficult? Uh, it's intimidating for a couple of uh, reasons. Uh, well, first of all, there is the, the confrontation. At some point... Uh, when you are sharing your faith with somebody, you, you come across one of several things, and probably both. 
First of all, you have to tell them at some point that they're wrong about an idea that they believe. Maybe at some point we'll we'll go back through this and uh, and, and well, let me let me share it briefly. Um, a lot of times, one of the things that we we do um, when when uh, or one of the things that's difficult in doing this is is here's a person that's say say they're uh, they've been religious for a long time. And we're going to be talking about baptism or we're going to be talking about something in, something in what we believe. It makes us feel like we're going to, we're going to tell them, and, and they might even show that, that or, or respond to something like, like we're telling them that everything they've done up to that point is invalid. Like here's a person that, uh, that's been raised in a different church They've not heard the whole gospel. And they've worked on themselves and they've been doing whatever they've been doing. And, and well, I've got to share them, you know, back up and, and share this bit that they missed. Or share this thing over here. And, and they might get the feeling that we're telling them that, that everything they've ever done, every spiritual work that they've ever done, every generous thing that they've ever done, is invalidated simply because they missed this one little part. And that is not true. And, and if you've ever thought that, I, I beg you to reconsider if that's your perspective. The things that, that, that people have done spiritually are, are very valid. Uh, when you build a model, there's, there's different, different types of constructions and things that people do, but when you build a model, a lot of times there's um, you, you have to build this piece over here and get that together. Okay, you got that one, and now we, we, we're going to work on this piece, and, and it all comes together in the end. You don't just keep on adding one piece to one piece to one piece to one piece. Because if you had to do that, then yes, this first piece, if you miss that, then the whole thing is useless. Right? That's not the way the gospel necessarily works. There's this piece, and, and you might work on this, and they might have this piece very nicely done. This is not invalid. If a person has been working on an anger issue their whole life, what they've done based on, on the scriptures is, is very valid. There might be one other thing that they, they need to add. It doesn't invalidate everything they've done. And so we should not make people feel like that. But at some point, we have to be bold because we're going to get to a confrontation of some sort. Or maybe it might not be the doctrine that they believe. Maybe it's a behavior that they have that is wrong. But at some point, we're going to have to confront somebody. And that's, that's, that's difficult. Uh, the, other, the, other, the next thing uh, that is, is difficult here is the intimidation, and specifically the intimidation of the majority. The majority is a tough thing to feel like you're going against. Isn't it? Even when you know the majority is incorrect, it's kind of easy just to lay low. Uh, over Christmas, uh, we were uh, up in uh, Minnesota, and uh, Katie's mom is uh, on a mission to convert the world to high dosage vitamin C. <laughs> Her son uh, finds much humor in this. 
because her son doesn't buy anything unless the FDA has approved of it. Uh, it doesn't make a difference if he has a sister who had debilitating uh, allergies and can now breathe and, uh, and speak a full sentence. If the FDA didn't say, then... No, no. So, so he finds a lot of humor in that. Well, well uh, humor is kind of contagious, and, and, and so other siblings kind of got involved in that. And, uh, and, and it makes somebody who knows that this has affected them positively almost just want to be quiet because well, the majority seem to be having fun at our expense. Right? Oh, this, is a, this is a silly illustration, but, but think of that on, uh, when something matters. And you know how you've been personally affected by what you believe. And don't you in your own life, don't you, don't you, can't you spot the changes? Can't you spot the, the things in which the way you live your life on a daily basis and the things that, that are important to you have made your life better? We can all do that. If not, I challenge you to sit down and start writing about things that are a part of you and a part of your life because of what you believe. And yet, it is difficult. Even though I know those things and I know how they've affected me, it's still difficult to share that with people. Why? Because I perceive that I am in the minority. And that's difficult. They might have fun at my expense. So, it's active and it's bold. Do you know where you're at? Can anybody guess where you are in this picture? I have no idea. Huh? India. India. That's not a bad guess. Looks kind of <coughs> like India. You could be anywhere. Um, the story was told of a, of a guy, he said he went to a Holy Land tour. They're going to see where Jesus walked. And they're going to they're gonna look at all these sites and, and to look at the temple and to look at the wailing wall, to look at all these things that, that Christ himself would have walked past and seen. And he said, we found ourselves walking through uh, the Arabic section, through, through their markets, and, and people trying to give us cheap jewelry. And, and we, we really needed fresh-squeezed orange juice. And we needed this trinket and that trinket and this trinket. He's like, he's like we wasted a day. We, forgetting what our purpose was. Forgetting why we came here to, to look and kind of walk and, and think about the greater thing that happened in this city. And we're buying trinkets. You're in the middle of Jerusalem right here. Christ, or Paul says... I did not cease declaring to you what was profitable. We live in a world where there is a lot going on. We get sidetracked so easily onto trinkets. And, and, and trinkets can be divided up into a number of categories. Um, it's easy to spot the things that have zero value or almost zero value. That, that's easy to spot. I mean, television has zero... I'm not saying you have to throw the thing out. 
But it, we recognize that has zero value. We recognize that sports has zero value. By the way, just so you know, I printed this up before last night. So this has nothing to do with last night. But sports has no value in life, in what we're doing, in our mission. It is, but think of the time that people spend on whatever it is and what people will talk about and argue about. I was at, I probably shared this story. I was at a, at a, a camp this summer and uh, there was one kid there. Uh, we had a conversation like the whole week. It was really more of a monologue. I, I listened. And the whole week, he was just stream of consciousness and I don't know where one topic ended and the other one began, but it was either video games or some TV show. And, and it was just from, from like, like Star Wars was this and Star Wars, and I, they didn't like this thing, they did it, and then, uh, then this video game, and they killed this game because they put this character in it. And it was like he had this circular breathing thing going on where he, I don't know what he did, but he, he like didn't stop. And I'm like, wow. There's a lot of thought and there's a lot of going on, going on here. And none of it was important. Not a single bit of what this person was really involved with was significant in any way. I wonder how much conversation and, and how much time and how much money and how much we invest in the trinkets along the way. Well, that's easy, as I say, to spot. But sometimes we get onto things that feel valuable. We get onto crusades and causes that seem like they are meaningful and in varying degrees of, of meaningful. Social things <coughs> that seem valuable. And, and it, that have. True, truly some value. We, we think a lot of, about the injustice of, say, abortion. Is it invaluable? Is it, is it worthless? Well, it's not like sports. It has some value. The climate. Well, the Bible talks about the climate. Just open your Bible and turn to Genesis 8.22 on your own time. The Bible talks about it. There's little things here and there. But we can get off onto a cause that's not really profitable. Right? Paul said, I didn't stop talking to you about what was profitable for you. I wasn't off on this cause or this political thing or this, this social justice thing or whatever the thing was that he could have. He could have spent a lot of time, but Paul stayed focused. He got the, the peripheral issues and kept them over here and concentrated on what he was doing. Know the information that's valuable and know what's not, and that's important. The last 
thing is that the cause is universal. A couple of things under this. Our mission is universal. He says, first of all, it's public. Well, to do something publicly can mean a lot of things. In the Apostles' time, it meant standing up in a public place, literally, a temple, a synagogue, a street, the top of a house. Their roofs were flat. And declaring, that's what that meant. Our roofs are not flat. I don't suggest you stand on your roof. It might look a little different. 75 years ago, people got a big tent, set it up, started talking. Maybe that's something we should consider. I don't know. Maybe it would work. Maybe it wouldn't. There have been all sorts of ways that you can be public. But it is important that we are public. Maybe media advertisement. Maybe there's all sorts of things that you can do. But we do have to have a way of displaying Christianity for the general populace because it's hard to see that we are here, where we're at. When I tell people about where we're at, I have to specify. Because they go, oh, I know where you're at. No, then you're wrong. (laughs) You're thinking of the one up the street. Because if you think you know where we're at, then you don't. I've met one person that said, oh yeah, you got the white sign. I'm like, wow, you know where we're at. Uh, People aren't just going to randomly find us. Maybe a small, small percentage. We have to be public about things. <coughs> However that looks. Whatever is convenient. I'm not sure I got all the answers for that. I'm not sure I have any of the answers. But public faith is vital for a church's mission. Paul knew it. This has not changed in 2,000 years. We have to be public. But we also, one other thing that we have to do, we have to be personal. He says, uh, I did not declare, uh, cease declaring you publicly and from house to house. Now, I've heard this used to say we have to go door to door knocking. That's not what this means. If you want to use that and do that, then fine. But that fits under public, not under house to house. House to house meant um, the ministry of the work. It was more internal. It was, it was now that you have a connection with somebody, going to somebody individually and working with them, be they a Christian or a non-Christian. It might have been Paul going to someone who was a, a new Christian and he's going he's gonna to teach them more. It might have been ministering to somebody who has a need, a physical need, a spiritual need, or whatever. It might be a person that is, that is interested but doesn't really know. It, it, it might be someone that you visit and you know and you have tea together or you talk about sports together. Whatever it is. There needs to be a spiritual aspect to that. House to house, personal, individual. Not just public. Because the difference between it's like, it's like a shotgun versus being a sniper, kind of. 
You're going to get some stuff with a shotgun. But you need to have an aim. And, and some people are going to get missed if you just kind of have a general thing. You might get a, a bunch of interest, but we also have to have that ability to, to focus on one person. And this is their need. And I know where they're at. Because I know them. And I see them. And I talk to them. And this is where they're at. And I'm going to go publicly or from house to house. I'm going to talk to people where they're at. Both are necessary. So the gospel has to be all of these things. It has to be active. It has to be bold. It has to be focused on what is profitable for them. And it has to, it has to be directed in a way that's going to, to hit people where they're at as we close. Another thing that happened <laughs> over Christmas was that uh, I'm going to pick on Lynette's, uh, 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 Katie's mom, Lynette, again. The same son had a birthday gift actually her birthday is is new year's or is christmas eve so we keep it separated and so uh for her birthday gift um patrick decided that we <laughs> should organize her craft room <laughs> uh, yeah um she was hesitant but accepted the offer uh, because she never goes in the room anymore. Uh, it was just stacks of stuff. And we started, and we made a little progress, and, and a little bit more progress, and not as much progress as we wanted. It took about three or four days to go through it, and kind of make things so that she could get to and know where stuff is, and kind of organize it, and put up some shelves, and got rid of some things that didn't work, and it's better. But we, uh, we decluttered. A lot of what we did was decluttered. And when we did that, we made it all of what she had, though it was less, more usable. Okay. And it was easy. Oh, it was so easy to look at another person's mess and figure out how they needed to declutter. <laughs> that has no value to me. You got it. Four million stamps in here. Like, he's like, you've got so much paper in this thing. If you started making cards now, I was like, I don't know how many you make a day, but if you started making cards now, you would not be through this stack of paper in 20 years. Right? This is just a collection of stuff. And I need this, and I need this. And we we clutter so easily. And so my challenge is the challenge that I had when I came back was to start decluttering. To start looking at things that I've accumulated and stacked up and that make my schedule unusable. What is so important? How much time do I, do I spend doing this or doing that? That is a challenge. That's the challenge I, I offer to you. To, to make this mission, as we go, we're going to be looking at a strange place, I know, to, to talk about the church's mission, as we talk about our vision. 
uh, if you want to prepare for that, we're going to be going through the book of Daniel, actually. We're going to spend all of Daniel. What a, what a book of vision. It is a book of vision and visions. But all applicable lessons from, from one page to the, to the very last. Things that affect us. But before we can do that, we need to declutter. We need to look and, and focus and, and get the things out that are peripheral. To look at what we are really here to accomplish as church.